Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Schoolhouse Rocks podcast. Uh, we have a very exciting episode today for you as we begin to prepare for our return to school. Um, we're going to talk with our two athletic trainers from Roxbury High School and our athletic director, um, because what people probably don't know is the tremendous amount of work that not that they do not only during the school year to help support our student athletes and our coaches, as well as our physical education program, but kind of the work that goes into the summer. Um, these guys do a ton of ton of groundwork to support our programs, our athletes, and and the coaches to ensure that not only our um, student athletes stay healthy and stay on the field, but continue to progress uh, physically, um, not only for the betterment of their sport, but for the betterment of them as a person. Um, so, I'm gonna before we get into our uh, our schedule for today's episode, I'm gonna invite our my guests to introduce themselves, uh, so you know who you're listening to. Hello, my name is Joe Koch. I'm the head athletic trainer from Roxbury High School. Hello, my name is Corey Forlenza. I am the assistant athletic trainer at Roxbury High School and also a health and physical education teacher. Stuart Mason, director of athletics, Roxbury High School. All right, so I really appreciate you guys joining me today, and um, hopefully everyone can appreciate the timeliness of this episode because uh, we're we're right in the midst of this as we're you know we're recording this now and publishing this at the end of July as we prepare for August. Uh, this is about time when we start getting ready for summer camps and summer sessions, and our high school athletes begin to return. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what's that look like, guys? What should people know as they get ready? What should they an anticipate? And what can you tell us about the importance of summer camp and what that routine looks like? So I'll start. Uh, this is, so summer camp really is a good chance for the students to get back into the swing of their sport. Uh, ideally, we'd want them to do some exercises prior to them entering that summer camp. Traditionally, what I see as an athletic trainer are those students that take two months off. They show up for summer camp on day one and they struggle with the load of those first two weeks of practice and end up having increased injuries. So uh, what we really recommend and what we strive to do this year is to really get our students in during, you know, end of June, early July, so that way they are doing some strength and conditioning, some sprint work, some agility work, so that way they can progress to that summer camp and not feel like they're so far behind and their bodies are actually physically able to handle that better. Yes, working through the summer allows them to come into camp with more base so that it's not like they're picking up from zero and they're actually able to build on a, a priorly built foundation, um, which can be very important in preventing injuries, such with um, cross-country runners, with the um, introduction of uh, shin splints, um, so that there's more of a base. So what would a routine, what would that look like? So if I were preparing or... Um, you know, as, as a former athlete, you know, I'm getting ready to return to camp. What sort of things should I be doing? And then once I get to camp, what, what should I expect that routine to look like? Because one of the things that I know you two do that most people probably don't know is how much time you spend working with the coaches uh, to prepare their understanding of um, injury reduction, preparation for athletes, things like that. So that, you know, we don't enter the season with students already on the sideline because they got hurt. So, you know, what, what sort of things should I be doing as an athlete and what sort of things should I anticipate as I get ready for camp? So from a coaching standpoint, we really try to stress the preventive measure as we talked about trying to get the students ready. So we'll do an ACL prevention program with our coaching staff so that they can incorporate that into the warm-up so the students can even take that as a coach's practice and can use those same drills to be done at least two or th you know two times a week to install those movement patterns so that can help them again to prevent injuries. Typically, I will see you know one or two girls or boys on a sideline with some ACL braces on, and we're trying to prevent that, cut that injury down, uh, injury rate down. Uh, the other thing we noticed is uh, with those students taking that significant amount of time off, uh, 
you lose that a high level ability to perform, not necessarily an in injury prevention, but if you, if you want to maintain top speed, you have to run once a week to kind of maintain that. So your max velocity will last about one week. So if, so even by doing a fart lick, which is like a jog style, kind of jog sprint, jog sprint workout that enables our athletes to kind of stay at that sprinting level. Um, you know, just ask if, if I went to you and said, Hey, you haven't, you haven't done anything in two weeks in the first, you haven't done anything in two months and we're going to sprint you for the first two weeks of the season, your body's going to react adversely to that. So, so we've definitely added again, some top level sprinting, some gameplay, uh, again, not the same duration as you would get with a soccer game or, or a football game, but some agility drills, some gameplays, even the game of tag is an excellent game to work on speed and agility, uh, to keep them again at that top level. I go ahead, Corey. You were oh, going to say something. I was going to say another thing that I like to introduce to the athletes is having them, you know, try other sports just because it allows them to work muscles that aren't normally worked in, you know, their sport, for example, a football player playing soccer, you know, although some positions may, you know, use some side to side agility and lateral movement, you know, that's not as much as they would see in a normal game of soccer. That's where lateral movement is pretty common amongst all players. So since you brought that up, let's just kind of digress from what I wanted to talk about as what Joe just said. Let's talk real quickly about the value of multiple sports, right? So you introduced the idea that students engaging, youngsters engaging in sports that are not the same sport year round or all the time has some value, not only for their training, but also for their health. Um, you know, the emergence of year round athletics, even at the earliest ages, I mean, my own kids are, you know, in middle school, early middle school age, and I just see a lot of their friends, you know, playing like a singular travel sport year round. Um, what what sort of impact does that mentality have on the development of kids, right? You you mentioned multi-sports, so let's talk a little bit about that and and how important participating in a variety of things can be, not necessarily officially, right? But how do how do we um how do we help people understand that being a part of multiple sports has a profound impact on performance and healthy living? Well, one of the uh, most important aspects of playing a different, like multiple sports that I find is that um, not only dealing with the physical, with the mental, like it actually gives the athletes a break from that specific sport. Like I was a um, lacrosse player and a wrestler growing up. So I know that, you know, basically all fall and winter I was wrestling, but during that spring and summer I had lacrosse. So it made me kind of, you know, break away from wrestling, you know, disconnect from it for a little bit. And then, you know, it made me, you know, enjoy it and, you know, relish it more while I was in season. The other aspect, Chuck, I would add to that too. I agree 100% with what Corey said. I think that change, so with the advent of, okay, we're going to do strength, conditioning, speed, agility in the summer months, which is technically those students' downtime, uh, I, I fear sometimes that can become a form of a job for the student as, a, as opposed to the enjoyment of playing a sport. So as what Corey alluded to, that, that change of sport they still get the play aspect of it. They still get to play football or soccer, basketball, lacrosse, wrestling, whatever it may be, as opposed to, okay, we're going to do this drill, we're going to do this drill or that drill. Uh, I think it's, and that's really what I try to do, even if I'm doing speed and agility drills, I try to put it in a game format, not necessarily a soccer game or a football game, but like I said, mention games like tag or something where I get the students to laugh and joke so they still find that enjoyment. On a bigger picture, something that I've noticed as in my role as supervisor of health and physical education as well is that with sports specialization, uh, believe it or not, uh, st uh, students and, and kids aren't, aren't developing uh, to become good, good all-around athletes. I hear phys ed teachers often say, we don't have the athletes 
that we used to have. And it's not that we don't have athletic kids. It's that they're just not developing it. For instance, if a, if a child plays baseball, loves baseball, and decides they're going to play baseball year-round, they might develop baseball movements really well, but they're not developing all-around athletic movements, uh, which would be are very different. There's, your skills you need in baseball are going to be very different than the movements uh, that you would have playing soccer, for instance. So because they're only playing the one sport, they're not developing uh, all around as an athlete. Uh, and that's had quite an impact as, uh, as children get older and then they hit high school. Uh, while they might uh, be really strong at one sport, they're not, they're, not, they're not good all-around athletes, which I'm sure probably leads into developing injuries as well. Joe and Corey can talk about that. Do you see more injuries from students that specialize in one sport? We do. We typically, uh, at, at one point, uh, I try to keep statistics at our high school for the injured students. Uh, 20% of our spring injuries was, were student, from students playing spring soccer. Uh, those students were playing sing, spring soccer as well as spring lacrosse or track, you know, so they were doing multi-sport at the same season. Which, which I think is a tough part of that multi-sport athlete. Again, it's, it's difficult now to go from to soccer in the fall to basketball in the winter to track in the spring. Most teams are running all year round. However, I did see, again, because of that, going from sport to sport to sport, uh, I feel, and again, as a parent of two high school students myself, uh, there's that pressure. There's that pressure out there that, hey, if my child isn't doing these extra reps around a club team or a travel team, they're going to be behind. And uh, and that, you know, and that and it makes students really kind of sign up for a lot of things that maybe they may not necessarily need. I've seen some invitational camps for freshmen, you know, prospect camps for freshmen. So that that pressure on the parent gets to you as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and keep us on target because we could go down a wormhole here, uh, particularly as you, you know, Corey mentioned, I wrote down, you know, we want kids to enjoy what they're doing. Right. You don't want to feel like a job. I think you said something like that. And I mean, I don't know how we can emphasize that enough. Sports are meant to be fun, right? Like yeah. winning, winning is great, right? Um, but the emphasis on winning that is seems to have emerged as the only thing that matters is somewhat frustrating. I'll say just for myself, um, but you know, because of course there is value to learning to lose. There is value to good sportsmanship. You know, there's value to participating in something, just being a part of something. Um, but. How do we structure sports in a way that kids continue to enjoy it, continue to find fun in it, um, and embrace lifelong sport? Right, we're at the end of this. We're you know we're going to start talking about what we do during the school year, and I know that Stu, you've worked really hard with the phys ed teachers to create um, a physical education program that not only teaches skills in the different sport units, but also we've in- introduced a variety of lifelong sports, things like that, so kids can really learn things that they can do their whole life, um, regardless of their age, their body style, their fitness level, things like that. Um, but to, to hear you guys emphasize the importance of play, you know, it, play is fun, right? Enjoying what you're doing is important, right? Certainly, you got to take it seriously as you're getting to a higher competitive level. Um, but that notion, Joe, you just mentioned, is still a head-scratcher for me, uh, that idea that if you don't do this thing year-round, if you don't participate in these um, training camps, um, these uh, elite teams, you're going to, quote, be behind, right, which is what you just said. And I feel like as a parent of two younger children, I hear that all the time, not only from um, other coaches, but from other parents, like, well, I don't want my kid to be behind. How's my kid going to get a scholarship? And it's hard because I want to come back to always in that conversation, like, why can't they just have fun, right? Like, um, the, the the percentage of kids that get athletic scholarships, the percentage of kids that make it to pr- professionals. I mean, that's not the topic for today, but those numbers are so astronomically low um, that, you know, we need to circle back somewhat to fun. So 
I like Joe's idea to get us back in where we were going here about when we're doing training, making it a game-like style, making it fun. So you you talked about agility. Um, the emergence of agility as something that's important as a part of a training regimen really kind of moved to the forefront in the last, we'll say, 20 years. Um, and it's not always the most fun, but talk about how that attitude helps reduce the potential for injury um, because the body is, is the body better prepared? Is the body, tra- like, what's that mean, right? To, to really introduce things like plyometrics and more agility into the training routine. Sure. So, so Eve, again, I'll kind of use soccer as a pretty easy example to take. So, so most coaches, at least when I played sports a uh, considerable time ago, all the conditioning drills were straight ahead sprinting or straight running. Uh, if any soccer coach knows, you bend your runs. You know, everything is a change of direction. It's how fast can you change your direction? How fast can you separate yourself? How fast can you create space from that other athlete, uh, which is not necessarily in a straight line? So, so that's why when we add that agility component to that, we really stress that change of direction with an athlete, uh, something as simple as a mirror drill. One athlete in front of another athlete, that person has to juke that other athlete out within a confined space. They learn how to read the hips. They learn how to change direction, learn how to adjust quickly, and it's a competition and it's a friendly competition as teammates, you know, so that makes it a little bit more fun. Uh, like I said, we do want them running top speed, but obviously they're not going to run top speed the day after a game. You know, we kind of modify that as, as necessary. Uh, and then that, again, those throwing in those change of direction drills, those agility drills, single leg drills, even just something as simple as hopping left to right and then having two people face each other. And again, how fast can you hop? Can you hop faster than the person in front of you? to change direction is going to give you that injury prevention effect as well as help with that change of direction. Joe, in you know, today's society, everything is data-driven, uh, and it's not because I said so. It's proven it to me. So explain a little bit how uh, you know if, if these procedures that you're implementing are working. Okay, definitely. So uh, we've done a couple of things. So in the past, we, we've tested our athletes for mobility and stability just to see how they would kind of handle if they have normal movement patterns and how they can move as just functioning young adults. Uh, and we took that information and added some corrective exercises within our physical education program so that our whole general population gets that. Once we've done that, we've been lucky enough to have uh, a set of force plates that we can use. And on those force plates, we can actually have athletes jump in a place, in a set place. Uh, we can do what they call as a counter movement jump or a depth jump or a single leg counter movement jump. And we can have those jumps where we can test, is this athlete getting better? Are they getting stronger from what we're doing? Are they getting faster? Are they getting more explosive? Do they have a deficiency between their left side and their right side? Uh, very often you talk to the, the athletes in the, in the major league sports, uh, they talked about recovery time. And, uh, and one of the things that the NFL teams will say is what got them to win the Super Bowl was how well they recover. So with those force plates, we can measure someone after a hard week, say somebody plays three games and they have three practices, we can put them on that force plate, have them jump and say, hey, your scores are much lower than they are. You need a recovery day. You need a practice day. So just to kind of break that back for the layperson. So Joe mentions force, force plates. If you're having a hard time imagining what that looks like, they really look like two plates that are on the ground. Um, certainly they're attached to a data collection device like a computer or something like that, that the kids jump off of, right? They jump vertically. And then they land on, and there's a variety of different alterations and ways that Joe and Corey can um, influence how the kids use those. But it really is 
as simple as it kind of sounds, it's a plate on the ground. It's a metal metal mechanism that kids use to jump off of and land on so that Joe and Corey can measure a whole variety of data points about um, how they're using that. And you even mentioned one of the specialty ways, which is that d- discrepancy between the right side of the body and the left side of the body. So uh, this, while I think this um, having this as a part of our athletic program certainly enhances our data collection that Stu brings up, um, it's not as complicated as you might think, but it is really a, something that you don't see at a lot of places, and it is really important to how we monitor student growth. Yes, we've been, we've been able to something as simple as, okay, if you could do a single leg jump on your left leg versus a single leg jump on your right side, and there's that kind of a 20% deficiency, I can go to the weight room coach or even the weight room, the coaches that I create programs for and say, hey, listen, they need to do extra sets on that weak side, and let's decrease that deficiency. You know, you might do three sets of 12 on your right side versus three sets of eight on your left side to get that right side to correct that imbalance. And then again, if someone is hiding that injury to say, hey, they tweaked their ankle and that's why their scores are low, we can even do a static balance test where they just stand on it and balance. And I can see how much their body moves and how corrective they are and, and can they handle themselves in, a, in an athletic stance and then say, okay, here's a deficiency. And we use that data, like I said, to better our athletes. So how, how would you use that data? You mentioned using the data to better your athletes. Explain a little bit how you do that. I know uh, weightlifting and being in the weight room used to be an off-season uh, practice, uh, but uh, times have changed. Uh, how do you use that data to drive uh, those kinds of programs? So we'll try to test our athletes uh, at least once a month, and that way we have, you know, we tested them. So, for example, football was tested last March. So we've done March, April, May, June, so on and so forth. And then we can monitor those programs to, to find out. And I can find out with the data that comes through the force plates. It's actually pretty incredible. We can use that to determine, uh, we can have them jump on there. And I can also do an isometric pull, which is basically you're kind of just pulling against the resistance, but not moving. And the amount of force that you put into that plate gives me an estimate of strength. So it's a very easy way to give me a max strength test without putting them on a bar and saying, hey, listen, you got to give me one rep as much as you can possibly lift. Um, that has been excellent because it's been able to tell us, are our kids getting stronger, uh, as we go along? And then again, are they getting more explosive? And then I use that data to create ratios to say, Hey, this person's really strong, but they're not that explosive. This person's really explosive, but they're not that strong. And then we tweak our strength programs accordingly as needed per, per position, per sport. So one of the things you also mentioned as a part of that to move away from the force plates a little bit is how you guys have worked to, you kind of said it very quickly, so I don't want to miss it because I think it's really important. You've enhanced the physical education program to focus on certain things like flexibility and core. And you, what you had said is so every student, every kid benefits from that. Um, talk about what that looks like um, because certainly one of the things that students are all required to participate in is physical education. And as I even say that, I think people listening probably have different uh, personal memories about what that looked like when we were in school. And one of the things that I really love about uh, our program, K-12, but we're specifically talking about the high school here, is that physical education in particular does not look like at all, I'm I'm confident saying at all, (laughs) like it looked when we were kids, which my memory of high school physical education was the teacher rolling out a basketball and encouraging us not to get hurt. And that was pretty much class, right? It was like full contact basketball every day. Um, you know, we've certainly developed physical education programs that allow students to participate in phys ed purposefully in a variety of different ways. But talk about how you guys in particular have influenced the physical education program to really integrate some of these areas where you think everyone would benefit, such as flexibility, core prep, you know, appropriate warm up, things like that. 
Sure. Well, we were able to do, and again, from my testing over the past 25 years or so, we found some commonalities between males and females. So what we were able to do was actually set up within our phys ed class, they can do peer assessments. So another student can assess another student's, for example, hamstring flexibility or calf flexibility. Uh, and then we can also assess what is their kind of core stability with a very simple test that we'll do. And each part of each, uh, each phys ed class has a fitness component. So within that fitness component, we can add in those exercises such as a calf stretch or a hamstring stretch or something simple as a, a farmer's carry, which is basically like a suitcase carry. And, and, uh, and it can increase their core stability, which is going to help just the general population. Just uh, There's three out of five people in America have back pain. You know, and most of us sit seven, eight hours a day. So if, if, and most back issues are due to weak core stability and flexibility, mobility issues. So, so it's, it's on my end, I'm thinking kind of past our sports. I'd like to target general population and make that as good as possible. So that way people can go play, pick up volleyball, basketball, whatever they want to do and have an active lifestyle. So one of the things that was mentioned as we're kind of talking here is the enhancement to, you talked about the weight room and you talked about participating Stu mentions that that once upon a time was off season. It's something that we've integrated into the regular program now. Um, Stu, you did a lot of work last year to kind of spearhead an effort to really enhance our weight room. So maybe we can talk about how we, we really use that space, not to create weightlifters, um, but to really afford all uh, an opportunity for all students, not only those in our sports programs, but also our physical education students, um, athletes that are in season, athletes that are out of season. How has the enhancement of that space uh, really benefited our program? Because I know you, you really led the charge to make that happen. So talk about what that space looks like, because if you're listening and if you're a parent, you're listening or you're, you're not from our district and you haven't seen the new weight room, you're probably thinking of the, the like the late 90s, early 2000s weight room like we all used when we were in high school, um, you know, or, or we saw. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, and you, you we're calling it a weight room. I don't, I don't even like to call it a weight room because... Uh, essentially, uh, it's it's not just for you know lifting weights and putting up as much weight as you can. It, it's a it's a performance center. It's where we're working for our athletes uh, to become better athletes, and and uh, a lot of that re requires different kinds of exercises. We're fortunate to have uh, Mr. Koch and Mr. Forlenza to help direct some of these uh, exercises that we're doing. But the, if you were to walk in the weight room, it's going to look much different than. It would, uh, you, if the, a traditional weight room that you would probably remember when you were in high school. Uh, it has a lot of different exercises that require uh, multi, uh, working on, on, on multi skills at, at one time. It, uh, because of the, the number of athletes that, that are using the performance center, it's not simply uh, just the football team. Now we have all of our programs utilizing it. So it's efficient so that everybody can work on what they need. Uh, so machines, you can do 10, 12, 15 different exercises on one machine and work on what you need to without having to wait in line behind other people or without having to uh, feel like you're competing against someone else. Uh, it's really an efficient system uh, that we, we've been fortunate enough to implement uh, and going from everything from deadlifts to band use. Uh, I, Joe and Corey can talk a little bit more about the impact it's having. 
Yeah, I think that having the squat racks the way they're organized is really easy. It's really nice for the athletes to be able or the students to be able to transition from, you know, doing a deadlift to maybe a front squat or benching or whatever they want to do just because all they have to do is lift the bar up, move the holders, and then put the bar back there, and they can do whatever they like to. That system works well. So we've, we've really tried to go away from the old-school bodybuilding style of a weight room that's what for years weight rooms were based on bodybuilders you know how big can my biceps be triceps quads pecs whatever that may be uh we really transitioned to more a functional style of training and again we talk about and people tend to get nervous when they hear deadlifts and squats but some of our athletes are, are maybe doing a squat with a, a 20 pound dumbbell or a kettlebell or something like that before they can progress to that next level inside of that squat rack uh, but really much more functional exercises, which, again, kind of help the whole body as a system as opposed to part by part, kind of a whole. I don't want to get too off topic here, but uh, I, I know uh, Mr. Koch just came from working with our, our girls' soccer program. Uh, talk a little bit about the importance uh, of our, our female programs being in the weight room. I know uh, that's something that uh, it might be a little untra uh, uh, untraditional or that uh, our, our female programs can feel uh, – a, a little, uh, uh, for lack of better words, intimidated uh, in our weight room. Uh, but it's really important that they're in there, and it's great to see you working with our program and all our programs this summer. Want to mention and talk a little bit about that importance? Sure. Well, that's it's that's exactly. I like how you allude to the fact that they might feel intimidated by the weight room. And again, traditionally, it's been that male-dominated environment. The more we get students in there, female students and the more we get them introduced to those exercises and they realize I technically I typically find most girls form is better than most guys form guys again is how much can I lift and the girls are like am I doing this right uh, which really matters to me as a healthcare professional so I make sure that the students are doing it properly and then they don't get intimidated and we work with them again to do what's within their comfort zone and we push them as needed uh, but they don't have to be killing themselves and that familiarity makes them uh, feel much more comfortable. It's going to make them feel more confident in the hallways. It makes them feel more confident on the field. Um, and again, they there's really no different between a male doing a squat and a female doing a squat, as long as they're coached properly and do it correctly. But I've today we were in there and it was a packed weight room with all the volleyball girls were in there, the girls soccer were in there, and then after us, field hockey was in there. So I'm happy to see the times have changed and and they're all comfortable in there, which is which is great. One, I think that's about the environment you guys are creating also, where students can feel safe, um, you know, participating at their own level, pushing themselves, and that, the, that they can measure their own growth. So, you know, I think you guys are really contributing to that environment that helps all students. And I can even say that having been a high school, high school and a college athlete, like, it wasn't my favorite place to go because that attitude that you just mentioned, Joe, about, you know, who can lift the most, I can assure you it wasn't me, right? So even, you know, you have some, some male athletes who have different body types that also could feel intimidated. They can feel like it's not a... A real safe, I don't mean safe as in um, they're not, it's not okay to be there. I mean, it's not a safe place that you feel you're vulnerable, right? Because you're not the guy lifting the most. You're not the girl doing it, you know, correctly. So um, I think you guys have done a lot. And I think part of that is your, your relationship with coaches, right? So you guys also spend time supporting coaches, right? So I was a high school coach. If I'm in the weight room with the kids, I mean, 20 years ago when I was doing it, you're just trying to make sure nobody's getting hurt, mm -hmm. right? But that's evolved. So talk about that too before we get out of here is how have you worked to support coaches, not only so that they know what to look for, but so that they can help reduce the potential for injury-causing events for their athletes, right? Certainly things happen. Sport happens, right? Kids get hurt. It's part of sports. But what sort of steps have you taken to partner with the coaches so that they are prepared 
to reduce the potential for those moments to happen to kids. Sure. So that all ties back into what I had mentioned earlier about that kind of mobility and, and stability testing that we have done in the past. So, so I've had coaches, you know, yelling at an athlete in the past to say, hey, this form needs to be better. But if the athlete doesn't have the flexibility to get to that position, if an athlete, so simple examples, if an athlete can't touch their toes, they shouldn't deadlift. Uh, and that's a simple test to say, okay, you can do a toe touch, you can progress to deadlifts. And then we watch that form in there. So, because you'll see those athletes really trying to kind of compensate to try to get that work in and to get that lift in, but really they're doing it at a detriment if they don't have the proper form to do that. So, so we've gone over with our coaches, you know, how do, what do we look for? What, what is necessary to focus on? And for example, with our girls soccer program, we started off with one set of 20 which with a lighter weight, which takes away the intimidation factor, it allows the girls to ingrain that movement pattern with the exercise without saying, all right, you're giving me three sets of five at 85% of a one rep max, which is intimidating. So they start with one set of 20, they feel comfortable with the exercise, and then we can progress from there. And then we tweak any form issues if we need to going from moving forward. But our, uh, the relationship that our athletic training staff has with our coaches has been excellent. If there's somebody that just looks like they're not doing it wrong, they'll talk to us and say, hey, what do you think's going on here? And like I said, it might be a simple where your foot needs to be in a different position as opposed to this or, or in a certain position. And, and we're all different. All four of us in this room have different body shapes and sizes, and that's going to affect how you lift. So there really isn't that one size fits all program for everybody. And we try to kind of make it as individualized as we can within that team environment so that each person gets as much as they can uh, and, and the coaches learn, you know, hey, okay, if this is, if this is happening, you know, that we're going to stop that exercise right away so that it's safe. Nice. So uh, having said that, as we get close to the end here, I just want to ask um, one last question is, so let's imagine that I'm at home listening to this and either I'm a parent or I'm a student athlete and maybe I'm not old enough to drive so I can't get to this uh, wellness fitness center at the high school um, I, on my own. Um, I can't get to the gym. I don't have fancy equipment at home. I just got, I have my body and outside. <laughs> um, what sort of things would you encourage people to consider? Because what probably happens too frequently is they grab one of these like pre-made DVD packages, right? To work at home or they'd like jump on a Bowflex. I don't, I don't even know. They sell Bowflexes anymore. <laughs> uh, whatever. They, you know, they use their, their parents' equipment, things like that. They hop on a treadmill and they just kind of go for it. Right. So what advice would you give someone, a kid who's at home, even our youngest athletes who are at home working on stuff? What what could they who don't have the uh, opportunity to interact with folks like yourselves or the high school coaches who you guys partner with so well? um, What advice would you give them about how they can prepare themselves even when they're at home on their own in a safe and productive way? Sure. So so body weight exercises or excellent start. It's an easy way to kind of progress to that, whether it's a body weight squat, uh, a plank, a side plank, a push up, you know, a pull up, things like of those natures are just great way just to just get some general strength component added to that. Uh, and even if your form is not the best, it's you're not going to do a ton of damage with a body weight exercise. Uh, realistically, from a, store, a, a sport that has that aerobic running component, that's really the best. I'll find students, they'll say, well, you know, they'll, they'll come in with shin splints because they didn't run much over the course of the summer. And I'll say, well, how much did you run? I said, well, I ran like once a week. 
you know, I ran for 10 minutes once a week. So realistically, you'd need to get that three days a week, progressing to four days a week, progressing to five days a week. The key, the old school rule was only a 10% increase in volume per week, which, which actually per two weeks, actually. So, so if you run a mile for two weeks, then the next two weeks you run a mile and a tenth, right. uh, which is a long, slow progression. But if you can add in some simple side shuffles, karaoke's, change of directions, running backwards. I, I want to say years ago, it was the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. It was having a whole bunch of hamstring issues, and they just had the guys run backwards in warm-ups, and it decreased their hamstring injuries. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I remember hearing that as an option. So even just side shuffles, running backwards, running forwards, jogging, sprinting, uh, change of direction, get a soccer ball and, and run around and, and dribble and change directions in your backyard. Uh, basketball, you know, don't just stand there and shoot. Change directions, cut left, cut right. You know, get your body used to that changing. And then that progression of, again, about a 10 to 20% increase in volume uh, for every two weeks. Uh, and then obviously any pain, cut back and, you know, and get that evaluated. But, but realistically, it's just a matter of doing something three, four times a week. And, and if, if, the, if, if you don't, don't want to go out and run, play basketball, play soccer, play pickup volleyball, you know, any of those sports that we talked about will at least get your body somewhat ready for their sport going into the fall. Yeah, and just one thing I like to kind of, you know, say to athletes is, uh, you know, you have to walk before you run. You know, you can't just go out there and run a marathon. You know, you have to train for it. So coming the season, you know, you're not just going to, you know, go in and just be fully conditioned. You know, that has to be built, and this is the important time where, you know, that can be built. All right, so, you know, big takeaways for me I think are important um, for people listening is how critical it is to practice changing direction, right, as a part of your sport, regardless of what the sport looks like, so that you can be healthy and fit and ready to go. Um, the importance of training your core, right, that's mm -hmm. that's really part of a healthy lifestyle. Um, trying to work on flexibility and mobility, you know, uh, you mentioned the back pain, I, I kind of chuckle because I'm, I, whatever statistic you gave there, one in three, I'm definitely part of the one, um, you know, <laughs> Stu shaking his head, yes, <laughs> yeah. um, as two former uh, high school and college athletes. Um, but Fun, right? Like I want to kind of circle back into that. You know, the, part of the reason you do some of this preparation, and it's not always fun, right? Let's be fair. You go out for a two or three mile run. Uh, it's not always fun, right? Um, you do that strength and conditioning routine. You're doing drills. You're doing repetition. You're building that muscle memory. That's not always fun, but that preparation helps you have the fun of participating in sports. Um, and you're, you're ready to go. Um, you know, I, Stu mentioned before that all of these things contribute to an overall athletic approach to sport, um, you know, not just kind of the singular skill set that is associated with any individual sport, which is why we've worked to partner you guys, not only with the coaches, but also the physical education programs. And I think that's really important, you know, how much you partner with the coaches and the phys ed department uh, to ensure that not that your knowledge and skills are accessible by all of our kids, not just the handful of youngsters, I, it's more than a handful, that's not fair, uh, the number of kids who participate in in sports, right? So I'm really impressed by that. And the, your use of data, Stu, you mentioned we're in a data-driven society, right? It's no longer, you know, just tell me, it's prove it to me. I want to see the evidence that this is having an impact. So uh, I know this is kind of a very quick um, journey on preparation for sports and, and healthcare management and stuff like that. So we'll, maybe we'll have to sit back down and get into some, some specifics. But I, I thank you guys for all that you're doing. Uh, Corey and Joe, you guys really work tremendously hard for our kids. And I can't emphasize that enough, Stu. You've really been visionary in terms of making sure that these guys have the space to do what they're doing. I don't just mean the the rooms, the actual space. I mean 
that they're encouraged and supported to participate to the degree they do. Because I remember as a high school uh, and college athlete, as well as coach, I saw the trainer when one of my kids got hurt, right? Like that was kind of my relationship with the trainer. I liked them, right? We were friendly, but um, they weren't active, actively participating in ensuring we were preventing injury or that we were taking the right approaches to support um, that, that kind of healthy attitude, not only in the classroom, but also on the field. So, um, all right, last thoughts to wrap this up. Well, you know, at Roxbury, we talk a lot about pride, the pride and tradition of our athletic programs, and we've been competing and winning for over 110 years. Uh, but uh, And our coaches embrace that pride and tradition, but they also embrace change and that understanding that today's uh, sports are much different than they were 110 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, and that our student athletes are much different than they were uh, in the past as well. And we're so fortunate to have Joe and Corey as part of our program because they've done a lot to help us uh, make make the changes that are going to have a real positive impact on our programs and most importantly on our student athletes. All right, gentlemen, last thoughts? Uh, go Keep it fun, get outside, play, make it remember sports are fun make it fun you know again we all get that runner's high after running at a certain amount of time and if you go long enough you do get that runner's high so you, there is a little bit of enjoyment from that uh but get outside and, and keep it fun yeah um you know sports are you know at the slubber are sp- meant to be enjoyed and you know they're supposed to be you know team building and you know kids are supposed kids are supposed to have fun doing that well and you know what they're even more enjoyable when you're a gale because every day is a great day to be a gale <laughs>